1987, the first intifada. Christians leave the West Bank in record number after surviving the Palestinian uprising against Israel. Once, Bethlehem was 80% Christian, but three out of four Christians have evacuated. Bethlehem is now 80% Muslim. Pastor Stephen Curry was raised in Bethlehem. There, he and his father created Holy Land Missions, a ministry that has flourished for over 36 years inside Muslim and Israeli territory. They chose to stay and preach the gospel in a time when others chose to flee. Jim Dow, the president of Voice of the Martyrs, said Stephen Curry has a fearless determination to share the gospel anywhere, without reservation. Amidst firebombings, shootings, public beatings, and discrimination, Pastor Stephen has continued to minister in the West Bank. He frequently appears on TV to tell his story of how an Arab can share the love of Jesus with Jews and Muslims alike. God has given Pastor Stephen the assignment of encouraging Christians around the world to be bold and courageous, to reach out to the Muslim community with the truth of the gospel. Good morning. We worship a risen Savior, amen? I know he's risen because I'm from Jerusalem. The tomb is empty. That's what distinguishes our faith from other religions and other faiths. Our God is real. And because he's real, because he lives, so must we. You know, the beauty about today is that you're in for a great, amazing day. Because you're here to honor God. And it says, for those that honor me shall be honored. And God knows. He reads your thoughts. He knows your heart. The Holy Spirit's within you. He knows where you're going, what you're doing. He knows why you're here today. And because of that, he will. He will. The Bible says, you'll be honored. I want to pray and just ask God to show you something you've never seen before in your life. I'm asking God that today would be the beginning of a new era in your life. In your marriage, in your health, in your finances. I'm asking God today that he would just release his angels to stop the attack of any enemy against you. Would you join me in prayer right now? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask you, Lord, this morning to be exalted, to be lifted up. In our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, in our action. Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, you said that you release the angels. And Lord, you said that we have the power to command the angels. So Lord, I'm asking you right now, would you send your angels to be postmen around this church property. As I speak this morning. As you direct the words through my mouth. Lord, I pray that you send your angels to be post, uh, can, uh, uh, be post upon every person here this morning. Lord, I pray you command your angels, Lord, to stop the attack of the enemy. Any attack the enemy has on the health, the finances, the marriage, the family, the faith, um, the body, the mind, the thought of every human being in this property. Lord, we ask you that you send your angels to protect them and block the attack of the enemy. We come covered under your blood and nothing else. In the name of our risen Messiah, we pray. Amen. 
Today, my desire is to try to bring two messages into one message. Uh, it's going to be hard with about 35 minutes or so, but I'm going to try to, all right? Um, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to bring in a story from the New Testament and try to wrap it up in, in the Old Testament. You know, in May, I, I had the honor this May to be invited by Franklin Graham to speak in Washington or to share in Washington, D.C., and at the same day that I was speaking, I did not know this, but Vice President Mike Pence was there. And I want to tell you, you have some godly people right now in your power. Amen? You've got some men that are not ashamed of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you have men today that God's place. I believe God's place, regardless of some of the craziest things they say or do, God's place these men. In, in, in a certain reason, for a certain purpose, in a time as this. And I'm telling you right now, this is your time to begin to rejoice that God's bestowed one more favor upon this country. And, I, and my father and I has always shared this in Israel. We are forever in debt to God through you, the American people. Why are we in debt to God through you? Because it was, it was you who brought the message back to Jerusalem. The place where cradle of Christianity began. You guys, the American people, send a guy to walk in Jerusalem 40 years ago for 10 days. And this man who walked in Jerusalem bumped into my father, bumped into my father. And that bump into my father led us to know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. Amen. So thank you, America. And this is our time to give back to you, to encourage you to be bold for your faith. This is a time to encourage you to stand strong and to hold stand strong to what you believe in. I was born in Jerusalem and grew up in the city of Bethlehem. I tell people I've grown up not knowing a single day of peace in my life. I grew up going to school, stepping over body parts from a suicide bombing. That was an average childhood that I, that I grew up in. And I tell people that does something to a human being. Thankfully to me, what it did is it made me realize life is short. And everywhere I go, I encourage and challenge people to live life to the fullest. Honoring God first and honoring those whom you love next. Because you can be here one moment and you can be gone the next. That's the reality of the life that we live today. And, and, and this worn, torn society and era in my life, it made me realize not only that, but it made me realize that there's a lot to do for the kingdom of God. It made me realize that there's still a lot to do in the world that we live in. I want to thank Pastor... Um, Tom and Susie and the mission team and the church family, Glencoe, thank you guys for being such a mission-hearted church around the world. Your love and diligence to the Lord is ensuring the gospel is being planted around the world, and thank you for that. Um, today, I want to ask God just to one more thing, to, just to plant Israel and Jerusalem in your heart because we're living in the end days. Amen? Um, I'm not going to get into end time signs um, because we can talk for hours about that. Some of the stuff that's happening right now in the streets of Jerusalem where the streets are actually splitting in half. Bible talks about in those last days there will be earthquakes in Jerusalem. Um, again, I'm, I'm not going to get into it. But it's, it's very exciting. Very exciting. I have to come back for that. But I want to tell you, we have entered. I believe we've entered the laboring pains. I believe we, we are on the walking bridge to the coming of Jesus Christ. What does that pose? That poses the question to you and I is what's next for us? What do we do? I want to ask you to open your heart and join me to see what I see in the world, to see others through the eyes of God. I'd like to invite you into my life to hear some of the experiences that what, we, what we're doing and to go and go to the tables, visit tables and, and meet these amazing missionaries that God's using in the Amazon and Haiti and Hawaii and wherever countries God has his missionaries serving. Go up to them and spend time with them so, so we can see people through the eyes of their eyes. Today, ask the Lord to give you a new passion, a new burning desire to stand up and to fight, to make a difference in your life, faith, and your family, and through others around you in this world. 
I'd like to start by sharing this. Making a difference always comes at a price. If, if you're taking notes down, remember this. Making a difference comes at a price. Here are some of the most common prices that people pay to, 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 to fulfill a calling in their life. Making a difference most times comes at your own health. Unfortunately, but that's the reality. Making a difference sometimes comes at your own health. It sometimes comes at the security and safety. Our brother from the Amazon area, his, um, his calling for God to make a difference, it comes at the price of their health because of where they're at. There's, we were talking about last night about health and hospitals and, and, and medical treatment and so forth. Where I come from in Israel, in Jerusalem, in Gaza, where I go minister to, in areas where they would, would, would behead me and chop me up into pieces because I'm in there preaching the gospel. For me, the price comes at security and safety of my family and myself. To many, it comes at your wealth. Being a, being a person who wants to make a difference, a lot of times it has to come at your wealth. It comes at your careers. I meet a lot of people who, who could have been big, big, big guys of CEOs of big companies who decided to leave, leave all that so to go into an area, whether it be in their country or another country, just so they can share the love of Jesus with one more person before God takes them away. A lot of times it comes at your own pride. At your, own, at your own desires, you, you let those pride and desires, you put them to the side because you see the bigger picture. And that big, bigger picture is the kingdom of God. Making a difference also comes at the cost of your past, at your present, and at your future. What does that mean? It means that your experience that you go through in life, God uses that to help you fulfill his calling through you and your vision, your experiences in life. That's what it does through you. Now, they might all sound like they're awful negative things. You might say, well, past us, boy, these are scary negative things. But in reality, all of these are great things for you, especially for your character and faith. All of these I mentioned are experiences that make you stronger. And once a decision and the act to fight and stand up and practice is practiced, the sacrifice that you've done is reaps great rewards. They build others around you. Sacrifices built others around you. Your experiences and changes, it changes the present, it changes the past, and it changes the future. There are no mistakes in life. What you're going through in your life right now, regardless whether it be trials, tribulation, physical, emotional, marital problems, even career problems, even your own doubting, your own self and who you are, your identity, all that you're going through right now, God's allowing you to go through this process so that when you come up at the other end, you can look back and say, God, you were always there with me. You know, the beauty about the God that we serve, God knows your hearts. He knows your hearts. He knows your hurt. He knows what you're going through. He knows your despairs. He knows your confusion. He knows the, the cell that you've imprisoned yourself with. He knows all that you're going through. And because he knows it, he is compassionate. He's passionate to walk the journey with you. You just have to be willing to be faithful till death and I will give you the crown of life. The backdrop in the story, I want to I just bring you quickly to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, it's a beautiful and emotional, spiritual, physical struggle between Peter and the Lord. I want to give you a quick summary uh, before, before I read you, read you the story. Basically in Acts chapter 10, the first eight verses, Peter well, God sends his angel to a dream to a man named Cornelius, which it, it's, it's, it's funny because in my own personal hours and hours of study, I, 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 could, I, I cannot find evidence of Cornelius being a believer when God begins to speak to him. He's, he, I call him a seeker. 
The only evidence I can find, the label I put on Cornelius, that he's a seeker. He's seeking after a God because he comes from the, from the Roman legion. And from the Roman legion, they worshiped hundreds of gods around the world. They, 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 they worshiped thousands of gods in the cosmos. But down deep in the heart of this Cornelius, he was seeking after a God. He was seeking after the true God. And Bible says that God hears him and sends his angels. And he sent his angel to speak to Cornelius. And, and, and in the Greek-Hebrew context, when we see the conversation between, uh, between the angel through a dream and the vision to this Cornelius, Cornelius is sort of a little bit confused. Who are you? Are you the God with a big G? Are you a God with a, with a, with a, with a lowercase g? But, but he, he's willing to trust in this voice and this vision. And this voice and this vision tells Cornelius, listen, send your two servants out to Joppa, which is up in the north by the, by the, by the Galilee area, by the Nazareth. Send two guys in the, by, by Joppa. And these two guys have them search for a guy named Peter. And bring Peter over to your city. Simultaneously, around the same time that these two guys leave, Cornelius' home to go to Joppa to pick up Peter, to tell him, hey, a guy named Cornelius, he's a, he's, a, he's a leader of this big legion. He's looking for you, wants to have you over for dinner at his house. Peter goes into a trance, into a dream. And in this trance that Peter is in, the Bible says that God brings down a, a, a fabric stretched from the four sides with, with animals on four legs in it. And God tells Peter in this vision and dream. Again, these two guys have left the house of Cornelius. They're heading out towards the house where Peter's staying at. He's sitting on the rooftop enjoying the, the galley, enjoying the, the, the ocean, enjoying the sea. And, and, and God gives this dream and vision to Peter and says, get up and eat. Sacrifice and eat. And in this vision, in his dream, Peter begins to talk to God and say, God, I can't, I can't touch this. This is unclean. This is unkosher. The second time, God tells Peter, get up and to sacrifice and eat. Peter's response to God is, no, I will not. I will not touch it. For the third time, man, I'm talking about a stubborn guy. God tells Peter, get up, sacrifice, and get up and, and make a sacrifice and eat. And Peter says, I cannot touch it because it is offered. It has, it's, not, it's not kosher. It's not clean. I don't know about you, but if God were to speak to me once, you know, sometimes with our busy life, we might, it might just flash by. If God speaks to me twice, he's, he's got my attention. If he speaks to me three times, it means I'm in trouble. But Peter, being a stubborn Jew, refused in his vision, his dream, to make a sacrifice. He wakes up. Right when he wakes up, Abba says these two guys looking for him. And this is what happens in verses 9. Let's, let's read this quickly together. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the house to pray. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending upon him as it had been a great sheet knit into the four corners and let down to, to earth, wherein were all a manner of four-footed beasts of earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Peter, rise and kill and eat. But Peter said, no. And of course, the, the, the scripture continues to say, Peter did that four, three different times. He said no to God. Here's what I want to I focus on briefly, quickly, before, before we move on to, to our next uh, subject, is that I'd like to go back and to look at the scripture. He knows there is a supernatural experience there, but doesn't know. Cornelius on one end, knows there's a supernatural experience that he's going through. 
Because he, when he looks at God and he sees his vision dream that came to him, he, he can't explain it all. But, but the whole time in the journey, Cornelius is looking for an answer. He's looking for, for something supernatural. And on one end, Peter, who is supposed to be a Jew, a follower of Jesus Christ, he's there, he's still stuck to tradition and his own ways of being stuck to tradition. He doesn't understand that it's not about the sacrifice, it's not about the food. It's a concept, it's the heart issue. And today, that's what I want to quickly focus on, it's the heart issue. The problems that we have today in this world, whether it be outside in the world or, or within the church walls, is that it's a heart issue. And if God begins to work on the heart, if we can target down and understand that it's a heart issue, then a lot of our problems begin to, 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 to fall apart. A lot of our problems begin to automatically disappear once we start to change our heart. Look at verses 7. We see three people. But somewhere along the way in the next chapter, which we won't have time to get into in, in the next chapter, in verses 12, we see that the three became six and the six became nine. Basically, these two servants that left the house of Cornelius, when they went from the house of Cornelius to find Peter, along the way, the good news began to multiply. That we're going to find this guy named Peter, and supposedly, it, it, this, this man named Cornelius got this vision, and this vision was to go get this Peter. Who is this Peter? You know what this, for me, encourages me, and encourages many missionaries, and I hope it encourages you, is that God's always constantly speaking to people out there in the world, even the non-believers. God's speaking to them. But the problem is, they haven't bumped into the, the you yet. They haven't bumped into the two servants yet. They haven't, they, these people are seeking after God. They have not bumped into it. You know, in about, um, in about six weeks, I come back to America. I'll be speaking at Harvard. You know, the, the, the funny part about these intellectual people that, that I get, and there's a lot of them in Israel. Israel, the, the scholars of the world come to Israel to debate. Scholars of the world that come to Israel to get into these deep conversations. And in my experience, I, I am not at that level. Trust me, I'm not. But I love hanging out with them. I love getting to talk. I like, I like to see what their thoughts are. And in my experience in hanging out with these scholarly people who are non-Christians, who are atheists, uh, whatever, whatever sect of ideology they're in, what's so funny about them is that they, 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 they have a great talk. But when you sit down and listen to them, and you, you, you have a discussion or debate, what be it. After two or three hours of discussion, you start, understand, you start to realize they go in circles. And then when the circle's over, they come back to where they started from the beginning. And that is, they have, they don't, they have an answer. They don't have an answer. They sound funny. They sound good sometimes. Sometimes it sounds very deep and intellectual. But when you sit down and ask, give me an answer. Do you have an answer? Most of them have no answer. But these servants who Cornelius went to get Peter, along the way gather other people. Because they hear something, not intellectual, but they hear something so unique that the God took time of his busy schedule to speak to this Cornelius, to go out and get this Peter. The question is why? Because God loves to give successful people an opportunity to use their talents to see a special thing and to become a builder. And smart, successful people become a part of something unique and special, bigger than, than themselves. That's why these two servants, when they went along from the house of Cornelius to pick up Peter, the, the, their numbers multiplied. And when they got to Peter's house, Peter understood that God was speaking to him for a reason, for a purpose. And that reason, was that, that purpose was bigger than himself. That Peter needed to put, a, put aside his desire. 
Peter needed to put aside his Jewish uh, tradition and his legalism. And God was telling Peter, it's time to get out of your own Jewish wineskin and get into a new skin. This new wineskin that now you are a follower of the Messiah. And then the follow, being a follower of the Messiah, the message of Christ is all inclusive. Which means there is no sect, there is no race, there is no nationality. There's no ends to the earth of where the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be heard and needs to be taught. And Peter catches that when the two servants come. He stands up and says, I am he, I am Peter. He doesn't doubt once that he has to go with these two people. Because they say our master Cornelius wants to come over for dinner. And Peter takes a journey along to the house of Cornelius. And the Bible says along the way back, they pick up what? They pick up more people. You know why? Because they've got the good news. Amen? They have the answer. And that's the beauty about this is that when we are speaking the truth and, and we are consistently speaking it, we gather people around us. And I'm telling you, if you're a smart person, which you are because you're sitting here, you want to draw closer to God. The world sees good things when they see it and they understand, they appreciate it, and they want to get along with it. The problem is they're not seeing servants going out to talking about you. They're not seeing people live out Christ. They're not seeing people. Peter was known to be a very a person that really was stuck in his traditional ways. When they saw Peter step out of his old wineskin and, and, and Peter get into his new wineskin, he led by example, not by words. And by doing so, a lot of people followed Peter back to the house of Cornelius. And the beauty about this is it says that when he came to the house of Cornelius, Cornelius ran to the feet of Peter, got on his knees and said, and said Peter, God has spoken to me. Again, Cornelius, as of, as of, as of this point, from the evidence that I can see, he is not a believer yet. He's a seeker, which shows us there are seekers out there that don't know Jesus Christ yet. There are seekers out there that God is listening to. There are seekers out there that are seeking after the true God that is waiting for you to be that servant, to be that person that's being willing to live out Christ in front of them. He falls at the feet of Peter and says, Peter, would you come into my home? Let's sup together in fellowship. And Peter does. He steps into his wine, new wineskin. Wineskin meaning he steps into his new vision. Basically, he agrees that the vision that God gave him, was his, that was his lesson. Meaning that lesson is that God's message is all-inclusive. That his message is, is for everyone. Regardless of your sect, your race, your nationality. Regardless of your gender. The message of Jesus Christ is for everyone. He wants you to come to him to see him as your personal savior. But the problem is there's not enough servants out there going out. And coming back to bring people in. Whether it be in the secular world, whether it be in the third world countries, whether it be in the United States, whether it be in the corporate world, whether even the government. There's not, there's no, very few people are doing anything to bring people back in. And Peter goes in, he, he has, has a meal with these common people. With these people are less than who he is. He has meal with the people who are non-Jews. The Bible says that the spirit of Peter gets broken. He gets, so, he gets so broken of his pride and, and he looks around and realizes I've been doing the wrong thing and the wrong thing is that I was seeing people through the eyes of my own flesh rather than seeing people through the eyes of God. When you start to see people through the eyes of God, only then can you start to have passion and compassion to start to give and go and help and be a part of something bigger than who you are. Here's my thought on this. God can use you even through your struggles and weaknesses. Amen? Amen. Peter 
said no to God, and he was the guy that was supposed to be, as it said in Matthew 16, thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church. This is the guy, he said no to God, and God still used him? It shows you that God can still use you regardless whether you're 1 out of 10 in your faith or it'll be 9 out of 10. He wants you to be a 10 out of 10, amen? But God can still use you regardless of what struggles you're going through. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It doesn't matter if you are a 1 out of 10, like I said. God used Peter to bring an awakening and a revival in Caesarea. Look at verses 34. It says that Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, this is in verses 34, it says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. When they heard these things, they became all silenced. And they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Have we made Christianity complicated to a point where we've omitted the world from coming into our church doors to hear and see and touch the love of Jesus Christ? Have we complicated the message of Christ to a point where the world doesn't want to be a part of Christianity because it's too complicated? Peter here, he's pouring out his heart. I, w- I wish we had time to get into the Hebrew context of what Peter was saying. What Peter's saying is, guys, I'm, I'm sorry I judged you. And in my judgment, I was judging in the flesh rather than judging in the spirit. And he says that in the eyes of God, there's no partiality. That God wants all mankind to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And the Bible says that the Jews at that moment get convicted. And the non-believers, Cornelius, the Bible says they repent and they accept Christ. And then, and then Peter says, what's stopping us from baptizing? They bring in some water. They begin to baptize people. What a, what a beautiful place to be baptized in the, in, in the, in the, the Sea of Caesarea, the Sea of Galilee. What is, what, what's the point for, for this, this first message I'm trying to say is, this, is that you cannot see the world from your own eyes. You have to see the world from the eyes of the Holy Spirit. You have to see the world through the eyes of God. How do you do that? You got to know the heart of God. And to know the heart of God, you have to change your heart. You got to say, God, give me, take away the heart of stone. Give me a new heart, a new wineskin that I might see people through your eyes. If you're hurting, there are others hurting out. If you're hurting and you have victory, what say those out there that have no victory and hurting? And in, in, in my experience in hanging out and getting to spend time with all of these governments and presidents and world leaders, it's that down deep they're hurting. And God's placed me as a boy from Bethlehem in Jerusalem to, to be spending time with these world leaders simply because I just want to be a servant. I just want to go out there and give them the good news. And when I'm walking back, I want them just to follow me. Amen? I want them just to come along the journey with me. But the problem is if your heart is not in the right place, how can you be used by God if your heart's not in the right place? God will use you regardless. Again, he will use you regardless. But God wants to elevate your faith, wants to elevate your walk to a higher level. A lot of people have been asking me, what's my message for America today? What's my, what's my message for America? And, and, and I want to bring you quickly to Haggai. It's in the Old Testament. Haggai, it's in chapter 1. It's, it's just two chapters, actually four books, but it's booked into, booked into two chapters of Haggai chapter 1 and 2. And in Haggai, it's basically, it's, it's during a time where the Israelites were in exile. It's their second time in exile. 
In the Old Testament, we see the Israelites being God's people, amen? They're God's chosen people till today. There's no such thing as a replacement theology where the church replaces Israel. The church did not replace Israel. It's just a continuation of God's plan. The Jews say that what's revealed in the old, what's hidden in the old is revealed in the new. And in Haggai, it is an era where God brings Haggai, Zerubbabel, and he brings Joshua in. And, he, and God begins to speak to these three men, especially through Haggai. He begins to speak to them and says, tell the Israelites, I've heard their cry. The second exile is a time where they come back to Jerusalem and, and, and Judea and Jerusalem. And there for 16 years, they're there waiting on God to build a temple for them. It is very, you, have to, you have to understand this is very, very important because we're living in those days. Check this out. Haggai is spoken to by God. And God tells Haggai, this, this, this prophet Haggai, he says, them, go tell the people of Israel. Go tell Zerubbabel and go tell Joshua. Go tell them this message. That I've heard your prayers. I've heard their cries. And God, and God tells Haggai to tell the people, I've heard their despair. They're saying, isn't it time to build a temple? God has given up on us. God has forgotten us. You know what's so funny is when I used to come to America in the last five years as my trips to America, I've been hearing similar things in the church in America. Oh, despair, America's going down the drain, America's, you know, the church in America is, is crumbling and economy is collapsing. And I keep hearing these things and I'm thinking, have you forgotten America, what God has done for you? Have America, the church, have you forgotten the glory, the righteousness that God has placed you to be before the nations during a time of an era of silence? In the New Testament, there are 855 references to the New Testament. In the New Testament, many of the signs of the New Testament, they still are to come. But many of the signs of the Old Testament, they've already happened. Or stories that we see in the Old Testament have already happened between God's relationship with the Old Testament. I call them the Old Testament church. The Israelites are the Old Testament church. That's what I call them. The second exile. They're tired. Their faith is shaking. Their hearts is distressed. They're weary. They're, they're hopeless. They speak hopelessness. God hears them. God sees a defeated people called the Israelites during that second exile. While they're 16 years hanging out in Jerusalem. God senses and hears their cries. In Haggai chapter 1, God sends a message to Haggai and tells him, go tell these people, don't put a time limit on God. Don't put a limit on what I can do. God tells, Haggai tells them, the people have said that the, the temple will never be built. Tell your people it's time to be built right now. At the lowest time in the Israelites' life, God tells, I heard you. And now I'm telling you, it's time to build a temple. Actually, God begins to chastise the, the Israelites there. And this, and this, in his chastisement, God begins to tell the Israelites that it's time to clean up their act. And, and, and this is beautiful. I want to I close with, with, this, with this reading of this statement. God tells the Israelites, you have built your own wealth, but yet it seems as if your pockets had holes in it. I hear this a lot in the West today. We work, 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 and it seems like at the end of the week there's not enough money to, to do anything, even though technically we make more, we make a lot more than we should. And in, 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 in this first four, four verses, it says, You have sown much and bring little. Amen. And God's beginning to tell Haggai to, to tell the Israelites that I've heard you, 
I've heard your despair. You see, you think that you're on the top of the mountains, but yet you are the lowest spot in your world. What God is doing here is telling Haggai to tell the Israelites that they have began to live in the flesh rather than live in the spirit of God. And, and, and God begins to tell, listen, he tells Haggai, tell them that I'm, I've changed my mind. I'm going to bless them. What? In their lowest time, in their lowest spot, and in in, in technically they're actually living in the world. They're actually being of the world. And God says, I've changed my mind. I want to I bless them. I've heard their cries. What, what, God throws us curveballs. Does he? He's good at that. That's because we have to learn to see God in his own spirit rather than our own spirit. And, and, and God's message to Haggai is this. is tell the Israelites, tell them. Ye have sown much, but bring little. You think you're of high, but you have made you of low. And the Bible says in verses 7 in Haggai chapter 1, it says, Consider your ways. Begin to work, and I will take pleasure. All God asks them to do, listen to me. This is, it's, it's, I'm, I'm starting to close. I know, I know we've done a couple of things together, but it's important because one builds on the other. Both messages speak about the heart. In verses 7 in Haggai, God tells Haggai to tell the people of Israel, tell them, I take pleasure in blessing you. Because he begins to hear their heart. Haggai leaves and comes back. It goes, tells the people this, and they respond. And when they respond, it's simple. The Bible says, tell them to go to the top of the mountain and bring sticks and woods and to begin to build my temple. The temple is never built out of woods and sticks. But all God is doing is saying, in your lowest time in your life, I, only, I don't expect much for you. I expect a little. I just expect faithfulness. He, he, God didn't tell Haggai, tell the, tell the Israelites to go out, bring the biggest boulders of stones and to build a new temple. He said, no, no, go out to the top of the mountain, bring sticks and wood and build my temple. I thought God expects the best out of us. He does. Before he expects the best, he expects our hearts first. And, Bob, and, and what do they do? They say, yes, they do it. They go out and they come back. When he says, he says, I, I take pleasure in my people. Why does God take pleasure in this case? He takes pleasure because they were willing to seek after righteousness. They were willing to be all in. And when they were all in, God begins to, to, be, God begins to give all. The, so I've heard their cries. I will bless them. I will make it rain. Even though it says earlier, I've caused drought on them. But he says, now I'll make it rain on them. I will bless them. I will multiply. I will make them multiple. I will bless and I will build my temple. The beauty about this is that God expects the heart. He did this with Peter. God had to break the heart of Peter to tell him it's not about you. It's not about your flesh. It's not about your tradition. It's not about your ways or your culture. It's not about your money. It's not about your faith. It's not about your wealth. It's about God. It's about what I've given. It's about what I've done through you. And God does the same thing with Haggai and, and Joshua and Zerubbabel. He tells these guys, these guys, for 16 years you've been waiting for the second temple, but I have not given it to you because you're looking at hope from your own perspective. And God says, look at hope from my perspective. And, and Haggai says, what, God, what do I tell these people? He says, let's go. Amen. Be people of action. It starts with the heart. Many of you today, you haven't broken through your new wineskin because your heart hasn't changed yet. You're sitting in so much wealth, but yet you give so little. God's given you a beautiful wife and a beautiful husband, but yet you appreciate them so little. God's given you beautiful children, children that can at least get up in the morning and speak where other children around the world are fighting for a breath. 
but yet you appreciate your children so little. God, I've given you freedom, but yet you appreciate it so little by living daily life. If I were to compare you, I would compare us to this, the 16 years of these people doing things their own way, thinking they're doing it right, and God says, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. Because what you're doing, you think you're doing it right, but you're doing it out of the wrong heart. It's a heart issue. And only then can you start to give to missions. Only then can you start to become successful in a true, righteous way. It's when you say, God, give me a new heart. Refresh my spirit. Refresh my heart. I want to come back to you. It's a, it, it takes action. I want, to, I want to conclude with this. It takes action. Here's, here's my message. He simply wants you to strive after righteousness. Striving after righteousness brings simple faith. Do not complicate the message of Jesus. It's simple. He already did the work for you and I. Why is the world sometimes more happy and more joyful than Christians themselves? You want to talk about generosity? In the last two years, we've had more non-Christians give to our ministry than actually Christians themselves. Because they see the works of God, what he's doing through us. And they say, we can't explain it all. We can't understand it all. But I want to be a part of this, this, this. And we say, this, this, this. What you talk about, this is Jesus Christ. But it takes action. It takes action. It takes a change of heart. What if there are some today in your household or in your city or in one of the forgotten villages and towns where many of us serves or many of the missionaries serve where someone is praying, Lord, I don't know exactly everything about you. But I know you are real. There are people out there praying this right now. Buddhists, Hindus, atheists, paganists, Satan worshipers. I, I'm telling you, they're, they're, they're out there in their own closet. They're praying. They're crying. God, I've tried everything. I just, if you're out there, would you please, would you please just show me your vision? Show me your answer. They're out there. People that don't know Jesus, they're actually crying out. And this is what they're saying. Send me someone. To teach me and show me the truth. And the only thing standing in their way is you not surrendering to God's will. Or you not giving enough which puts mission committees in a bind. In having to hold back from equipping other missionaries to do that same thing that you are incapable of doing. Some of you here are meant to go out and be missionaries. Some of you are meant... To be missionaries in your own community. Some of you are meant to be missionaries in your own job. Some of you are meant to be missionaries to your own husband, your own wives, or even your children. Start, let's start with that first. But we are all commanded to give so that we can ensure the gospel is spreading throughout the world. But the dollar that you give out of an unrighteous heart is a dollar that we, we be counted as a dime. But you give a dollar out of a righteous heart it will be counted as $1,000. And you know the beauty about this? If you're in a good, righteous heart, you will give $1,000. Even though you might not have it, you're going to give it, you're going to commit to it. Why? Because it's a heart. You see beyond yourself. You see it's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. But it starts with the heart. It starts with the heart. Boy, I've said it 30,000 times, I know, but it's, it's hard to understand it unless you start to understand it. Would you bow your heads with me just for a quick word of prayer as music plays? Before I turn it over to Pastor. 
Pastor Curry, what do you want from me? Just tell me, what do you want from me? It's not about what I want, it's what the Holy Spirit wants. God wants to give you a new heart. He just wants you to ask for it. He wants you to strive and seek after righteousness. And he's willing to give it to you. You just have to be willing to say, Lord, here am I, use me. For 16 years, the Israelites, along with Haggai and along with Joshua and along with Zerubbabel, they've been waiting and praying, but they were waiting and praying with the wrong heart. And God says, you've been saying, you've been saying, don't build a temple. I'm telling you, build it. Even though you had your lowest spot in the earth. But even in your lowest spot, God says, I've heard your cries. God said, I've heard your hearts. I've heard your desires. And because I've heard it, I've sensed it, I've seen it, I've felt it. And that's what God's telling you today. You might be seeing things in the wrong perspective. You might have taken faith or quote-unquote religion. Maybe you've taken it in the wrong perspective. God's telling you it's not about how you see it. It's about how he sees it. And the only way you can see how he sees it is by asking God for a new heart. And that starts by you seeking after righteousness. It takes action. When God called the Israelites to go up to the top of the mountains, bring me sticks. And they did. When they did, God says, I am pleased. They, 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 they brought the bare simple minimum. But it was the heart. But after that, what did he say? He said, now build my temple. Because you are willing to be righteous in the little, I will carry you over much. After all said and done today, come out to the table. We'd love to talk to you. Missionaries would love to talk to you. Come grab, come grab the newsletters, prayer newsletters. Maybe even come grab a copy of, of my book. It was referenced by James Dobson. It was referenced by David Jeremiah. It's hard for an Arab to travel in an airport with a big duffel bag. So come out there and help release me from these books. It's self-explanatory. We want to get to know you. We missionaries, we want to get to know you guys. But more importantly, God wants your heart. Would you stand right now as I turn over to pastor? I'm calling you to action. I'm calling you to action. To be a person that says, God, give me a new heart. I want to get rid of the old. I want a new heart, God. I want to see people in your eyes. I want to see people in how you see them, Lord. I'm calling you to action today to, to be that person that you might not explain it all. You might not be able to explain everything. But you understand that God just wants you to be righteous and to go out and get the minimum for Him. Because when you do the minimum in righteousness, He will give you the ability to do much. Amen. I want to call you to action. To be a person that gives, a person that goes, a person that does what you're supposed to do. Only God can show you to do that. As music plays, pastor would be calling you to action. To be a person that asks God for a new heart.